Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne on Global Voice Radio. Join Roxanne Durhage and her thought-provoking conversations, the catalyst to live your life to the fullest. So hi everyone, it's uh, Roxanne Durhaj again. So glad you could join me on my second podcast with one of my, the most special people that I know in uh, my field of speaking and um, someone who, who's an, an amazing author. So as you know, my book is uh, on relationships. So my guests that I feel honored that they give me this time to come in and speak to me are gonna talk about um, everything related to relationships. So of course, I often say that as soon as we open our, our eyes, we're in relationships because we have a relationship with ourselves and everyone that we come in contact with. So welcome Valda Ford. Um, Valda, thanks so much. Valda is in North Carolina, so she's a little ways away from me here in Niagara Falls. Uh, Valda is a professional speaker, consultant, and an author. She's worked in over 60 countries, improving both health and vulnerability. She works to change conversations about sexual health, decrease incidences of sexually transmitted diseases and helps parents, I think one of the most important things uh, about how to teach and talk about sex, because I think, unfortunately, that seems to be an issue that a lot of people uh, struggle with today. Uh, Valda um, is one of the people that has one of those massive followings on Facebook. She has a half a million people following her. Uh, amongst the other things that she does with her uh, following um, on sex is not for sissies. So, Valda, thanks so much for taking the time today. And um, welcome, welcome. And uh, I look forward to the inspiration that you're going to share with us today. So tell, oh, me, tell me a little bit about, you know, I'm sure you're probably a great, quite the opener at a, at a cocktail party when you say, oh, tell me how you got into sex. So tell me a little bit about uh, your journey and kind of what got you involved in this, I would say, a quite a small subspecialty in, in your career? It was actually, I was doing a talk in, in Illinois, and I was having a great time talking to people about living, laughing, and loving. And at the end of the talk, a woman came up to me who was 74 years old and was talking about her fears. She was a recent widow. Her husband had died three years ago, and now she was finally kind of back in the scene. And she was concerned about the idea of intimacy. Imagine if you've been with the same person and the only person for over 50 years, and now here's a new challenge. So I talked to her about some things, and she just kept whining and complaining. And I said, look, sex is not for sissies. If you're going to do it, you got to put on your big girl panties, or maybe take off your big girl panties, and find a way to do it and do it safely. She didn't understand that there were any safety issues for people who are in their 70s. Additionally, I was working for a county health system and actually a state health system where they had some really bad numbers for gonorrhea, chlamydia, and HIV. They asked me to come in and help change the conversation. So I got started on my quest to learn as much as possible, to get certificates in advanced sexual health 
literacy therapy on HIV prevention. And that's how I came to where I am now. Wow, awesome. So, you know, you're, I'm sure with different parts of the world, and I know you have a big following in different parts of uh, Zagana and Sierra Leone, uh, in places that I would think that um, this subject, I mean, in North America, we think we're pretty open. Um, but sometimes what we find is a lot of people may not have a lot of real, and I'm going to use the word technical, which I'm sure people will giggle, know-how. But in different parts of the world, what is your experience around this whole element of sexuality and being connected to your body? I find that even in the United States, I am constantly surprised and disappointed at what we don't know. Even though we seem to be in a highly sexualized society, we are still not in an educated society as it relates to sex. But in other parts of the world, it's even worse because our exposure here may lead us to things that are not correct, but at least it leads us to something. But I have people who want to know what does it feel like when your menstrual cycle starts, or they don't know the difference between ovulation and menstruation and ejaculation. Yeah. I, I spent a lot of, I literally, I had a woman the other day ask me, um, is it possible to get pregnant if you're not ovulating? And my question back to her was, well, you have to ovulate because when the egg releases, and I said, but how do you know that you're not ovulating? Is it the lack of a, a period? And she says, well, I mean, you know, when my boyfriend releases on my belly, I want to know if I can get pregnant. So she was talking about ejaculation, but using the word ovulation. Mm -hmm. So I had to be very careful when I talk to people to back them down. I try not to dumb down what I'm saying, but I start where I think they are. And then I just ratchet them back down to I get until I get to what they really mean. Because, you know, I've told you some of the stories, but the thing is that I don't know anyone who really is sexually educated. I talked to a group of well-educated, well-to-do women in a resort area recently, and I asked them how many of them had had sex education from their parents, and none of them said so. Even one woman said that her mother was an OBGYN nurse. She hadn't really talked to her about sex, that they'd had some really lame education from the school system or learned on their own. I had 45 minutes with them as part of a conference. They said, please come back. Please come and do a day. Please come and do a weekend so that we can learn more. And that's what I find it, everywhere I go. It doesn't matter which country I'm in. It goes from bad to horrible. Wow. And I think, you know, even I can think of women, like, you know, when you get together a little, you know, cocktail party professionally, not professionally, but, you know, your girlfriends and people will start to talk and you can tell sometimes that people want to know certain things, but they're kind of afraid of task. It's like, well, I kind of want to know what the difference is between this and this, but maybe I'll kind of walk around the topic because I don't want to make it look like I'm, you know, I'm 50 years old. How can I not know this? So is that something that you find a lot? Like a lot of people might want to know, um, different things about orgasm, you know, the big O word, which nobody wants to talk about, or that they right. have to each time. What, what kind of things come up when you have these conversations, like with these retreats and stuff like that? It goes both ways. There are those who are, are chomping at the bit to ask the question because they feel like they're in a safe enough space to ask it. And there are others who are too embarrassed. So when I have a seminar, when I have a retreat, I always get them to ask their questions on three by five cards. 
so I can ask them in turn from the stage anonymously. So they don't have to worry. The ones that are more confident will say, that was my question and here's the other part. But the rest are like, ooh, I'm glad somebody else asked it or I know it was me, but I'm not gonna say so. Yeah, it, it goes it goes both ways. But one, the, the most compelling one is when you talk about orgasm, I was in Kansas looking at a retreat center and the woman who handled the retreat center said, oh, I know what you talk about and I know what you're gonna be doing this weekend can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. She says, well, I think my husband is going to leave me. And I was thinking, oh no, you need to be talking to Roxanne about relationships. This is not my real will. And she says, well, he's going to leave me because he can't satisfy me. And so I was taken aback. I thought, wow, you are one of those people where he's worried about not satisfying you. Most people are saying he's not caring if he satisfies me or not. Mm -hmm. And I ask the question, why is it that you think you're not getting there? What are you doing? She says, well, I ask him to go ahead and get his pleasure and then come back and satisfy me. And I said, honey, you are going about this all wrong. <laughs> when a man has released, when he has ejaculated, usually one of two things is going to happen. He's going to get a sandwich or he's going to go to sleep. He's <laughs> <laughs> about satisfying you. And that's the reality. So as we got more and more into the question, I said, well, tell me what is it that you're doing? And she was like, what do you mean? Well, how do you direct him to help you? Because most women will say, oh, I was so close. I was so close. I was so close. And then it ended because it's a position thing, or it might be any number of reasons why you're not there. But if, when you're that close and it doesn't happen, right. you have to help a partner understand how to get you there. So I said, do you masturbate? <gasps> oh, 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 I thought he was going to just have a seizure. Do you masturbate? Oh, I said, well, 80% of women, up to 80% of women, do not achieve orgasm through penetrative sex only. Mm -hmm. They have to have some, some kind of direct clitoral stimulation or stimulation of the erectile tissue. And she was just looking at me like, uh, what? I said, so with your clitoris. She said, that is where you pee, right? Mm -hmm. and my heart was broken. I was like, no. You're 50 years old and you don't know where your clitoris is. So I went through a very convoluted attempt to explain where her clitoris was. And five minutes later, she still didn't know. I was talking to a focus group of women later that test some things out on. And when I told them this story, they said, why didn't you just pull down your pants and show her? <laughs> well, and that said, might you might've gotten arrested, but that would have worked. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm, dedica <laughs> I'm dedicated to my cause, but it does not include me stripping and showing people my honey pot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so ultimately I said, I tried everything and I said, here's my card, give me a call. We can do a Zoom call. I can show you some things. I can direct you to some websites. She never called me. Mm -hmm. But this is the thing, a, a great many women don't have orgasm or don't have it for years and years and years and they may stumble upon it or they may think that the only way they can get to it is with a vibrator or through self-stimulation. But partners are desperate to, to participate in that. 
And I can see why her husband was so disappointed because he was feeling like less of a man because he couldn't satisfy her. And she did not know that rather than being that passive, whatever you do is okay, I'm all right if you're all right. He was just saying, please, just give me a clue. Like for you as a therapist, if people come in and say, I'm having trouble, but they don't tell you what, <laughs> it's like they're expecting you to take after a crystal ball. And I feel sorry for lovers and especially male lovers who are trying to figure it out because we women are so messed up with just take care of the man, you're being selfish if you such and such, or you might embarrass him if you tell him you're not satisfying, but you have to come together to talk about this is what I need. You need to be able to laugh about sex. Everybody's so caught up. Oh my goodness, I, I released too soon. I didn't get here. That hurt or that made funny noises. Who cares? It's fun. It's practice. Just keep but, practicing. <laughs> and I think, you know, that's the important thing that I think often ha time happens is, you know, there's su such media about, you know, every time I have sex, I should have orgasm. And people are forgetting yeah. that whole element of connection. And yeah. So, you know, I often say to people, you know, how connected were you to yourself as you were younger? You know, and people will tell me, unfortunately, I hear, um, you know, kind of mundane stories or normal stories. You know, pe some people that grew up in really, really good homes and then people that were very, you know, exposed to a complete disconnection. Mm -hmm. So in turn, try to have them think about, and so the thought of even getting connected by touching your body would be like, uh, hold up, I can't, uh, what do you mean? I, I don't even feel comfortable taking my clothes off in front of myself. So yes. that concept of, of really trying to get comfortable, it becomes very, very, um, sometimes it's a long uh, process for me to get them to even get comfortable within themselves. So I would think with you as an, um, someone that teaches about sex, you're looking at probably comfortability with themselves. You, Absolutely. Moral, what about the moral kind of implications? Like, you know, of, you know I'm going to go to hell in a handbasket if I touch myself. All mm -hmm. those kind of heretic kind of um, things that you must hear that really makes people feel that they can't enjoy their body. If I'm a godlike person, you know, should I be touching my body? And what kind of things have you heard about that? Oh my goodness, because I work with people from so many countries and I have people from at least 50 countries who are on my sites, I, I get full range. I get the people who will ask about masturbation. They're afraid that it's going to keep them from enjoying sex, period. They're afraid that they're going to be going through hell and damnation. They're thinking that they're horrible people. And then when they ask me, especially on the public site, the number of people who come on and condemn them, so I've made it a policy, there will be no condemnation here. Everyone is here to talk, to ask, but still sometimes I have to go offline with them to talk, to let them know that from the time we are born to the time that we are die, dying, we want sexual pleasure. I mean, little babies will comfort themselves by stroking themselves. They don't know that it's wrong. Yeah. And is it wrong? And people confuse things in the Bible. And I don't want to get too deep and go too far, but even the idea of masturbation typically comes back to Onan, and many people call it Onanism, where Onan was told by God to go in and impregnate the widow of his brother so that she could continue his line and his people would, you know, rise up and be good. But he didn't want to do it. 
because he felt like he wanted his own children to be the ones to inherit the earth. So he went in with her. The way it says is he went in with her, which typically means he had sex with her, but he released his seed on the ground. Now, people just get totally caught up in that, and they think that that means he was masturbating. To me, it means he just had release. He used, um, uh, he used the withdrawal method in order to not impregnate her, but she wouldn't have been stupid enough to not know he was having sex with her or to know he was not having sex with her. I'm getting confused in my grammar now, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So the point is that people get caught up in that passage. But when I was growing up, I used to hear uh, women telling young boys that, oh, you're going to grow hair on the palms of your hands, you're going to go blind, and all sorts of things that related to having masturbatory episodes and even to make them feel worse about having a wet dream i have people from different parts of the world who feel like if you have a wet dream if you ejaculate in your sleep then that means you have a spiritual wife who is endangering your spiritual health wow. like you know this is just your brain working at night and your body going along with it it typically goes away when you become more mature and are more sexually active it's just your body your body is supposed to create small people so it's saying hey imagine how good this feels what would it feel like if you were with someone else <laughs> and you're being taught no 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 but guess what no amount of sex education has ever kept no amount of uh abstinence teaching has ever kept people from getting pregnant. It has not decreased the teen pregnancy rate. It has not decreased anything because they're going to do it. Why not teach them the right way? Mm -hmm. Give them your value sets instead of saying, just say no. Right, right. So that's a good this point. Is natural, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. This is natural, but just wait until you're ready for the consequences of having a 24-hour day small person requiring your time, your money, your energy, and changing your whole life. And that's what they do, even though we love them, but that's what they do. Right, exactly. And I think, again, going back to that whole and you know sense of connection, um, oftentimes people or parents that will come to me, um, they struggle themselves with connection to themselves. So the whole concept that I'm in turn now going to teach them something that I really don't know myself and I'm sure as hell not going to let them know that I don't know. And I'm going to give them some information, which is probably going to confuse the child even more. So with parents, what, when you, you know, you said like, it's a natural instinct. It happens in your sleep. Um, you know, babies come into the world and they touch themselves to comfort themselves. That's a very nice, warm way of saying, you know, that's, that's the body that we've been given and to accept it for what it is. So when you, when you talk to parents, what are some of the tips that you give them around, um, let's say, you know, I know RJ started to ask me about things that almost make me you know, kind of go off the road sometimes when I'm driving, but I've always say, be very open and I will try my best. And if I can't explain it, I'll, I'll come back to you. So what kind of things do you, you know, like eight, nine-year-olds, they kind of come up with these things sometimes, right? What kind of advice do you give to parents um, for kids around that age, because I think at that point they're becoming more aware. The peers are starting to talk about, you know, stuff, and yeah. they, they have no. Generally, they don't have a context and information. So, what do you tell parents how to deal with that? Actually, I tell them to start sooner. 
I tell them that from the time of birth to start talking about the body as natural, to start talking about the fact that here is the correct name for this body part while explaining to them that it might not be socially, accept, socially acceptable to say penis in your kindergarten class. You might say wee wee or willy, but teach them what it is so that they know and to give them that sense of, well, I know more than you do. Also teach them what is inappropriate touch when your neighbor or someone at the school or just a random stranger decides they want to hug your child or keep them on their lap a little too long, then you say, no, this kind of hugging is just for mommy and daddy. And if anyone else is doing it, let me know. Because the thing is that puberty can start as early as age eight and nine. Right. So if we wait to age eight and nine and the body is giving those signals that, woo, we should do something, we should make small people, and we have not given them any tools to fight it, their confusion and the peer pressure that may come or the embarrassment from not knowing may lead them down a path. In the world, the earliest known case of a fully live birth vaginal delivery was for a child who was less than six years old what? and of course that was yes that was precocious puberty where the body got started too soon with produ producing the hormones mm -hmm. it was also incestuous behavior which is horrible but she was less than six years old and had a child there are many cases in north america and the rest of the world of eight-year-olds delivering full-term babies so we wow. can't wait until eight or nine, even though we would like to. We're looking at our little soft, fuzzy people who are just worried about things like minions and baseball and fairy godmothers. And we have to tell them, this is your body. Yeah. We have to talk to them the same way we talk to them about brushing their teeth. We really fixate on making sure our kids save their teeth or we buy braces and orthodontia. And guess what? If they lose all their teeth, they can get a whole set of dentures. But if they have a baby at age 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, their lives are changed, right. probably not positively for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. So, yeah, so, I just say to the parents, be prepared that they're going to ask questions. And at whatever stage they ask a question, answer the question. And if you don't know the correct answer, just say, oh, you know what? Mommy or daddy has to think about that. And then go find something, come back to talk to them. Nine times out of 10, if they're under 10 years of age, they're going to have forgotten that they even asked you a question. What are you talking about? So you give them a little bit of information to satisfy them, but you prepare to give them the next level. For instance, if a six-year-old is seeing someone who's pregnant and say, mom, why is her belly so big? You don't say, well, she's just fat or God gave her that baby, or only married couples have babies. It's not the truth. You say, she's going to have a baby. Most of the time, you know what they say? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and they move right on. So the, the thing for parents to understand is to be ready to teach at the level that the kids want. And there's so many wonderful books to help you know how to have the conversation, how far to go. And if you happen to have a precocious or brilliant child who wants to know everything, then you just need to be looking at a higher age level for how to teach them. But use their guide to take you where they need to go. Absolutely, and I think that's what I often say to parents, you know, um, who may say nothing at all, 
which you know forces the child to go get information elsewhere, which oftentimes is erroneous because their source probably knows a little bit and kind of they extrapolate from there and then the child starts to all those things. They don't know anything. They don't know anything. They think they do, but you're right. They get it from someone who knows nothing, who, who extrapolated, or they go into porn sites, which is the worst possible education because none of that is real. It's just acting and editing, but they don't know. So young, the, the questions I get the most from men are how can I increase my penis size, which why are they feeling the pressure to increase their penis size? 90% of them who want to increase the size of their penis have at least a five inch penis, which is completely in the normal range. And then they want to know how can they last longer? They're thinking that they need to last an hour. And I tell them, look, no woman wants you pounding on them for an hour. That is a fantasy <laughs> we have early on. But after the reality sets in of all this, bam, 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 for an hour, come on. Who wants that? nobody. So all of this comes from the stresses of watching porn and seeing men who are you know, 10 inches long and this big looking like farm animals coming at you like, oh God, stay away from me. <laughs> and, and they're lasting, it seems like an hour, but it's just editing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. And um, I do get a fair amount of people in my practice that come around um, porn addiction. And um, so biologically, neurologically, we know that's what happens with the brain. Uh, and I'm sure you could probably speak a lot to that is that, in fact, neural pathways in the brain actually cut off when uh, people are using, uh, you know, an element of, uh, you know, to stimulate their brain sexually. So when they see a normal looking woman in front of them, uh, they're not able to get aroused or it's, you know, it's about this position or this or that or this toy or whatever. So um, a lot of men will call me up and they'll say, you know, well, I have an issue with porn. And then I start to deal with, you know, the issues related to why they started to use the porn in the first place, which oftentimes has nothing to do with sex. And right. then, but then they might be trying to get into a relationship but they're not getting aroused and then they're, you know, they're not enjoying the live specimen right in front of them because they're not getting aroused. And then they're going back and they're stimulating themselves with porn, which first further puts them further and further away from what they, where they need to be. Yeah. I know a lot of studies have shown that the more porn you watch, the more it takes. It's just like any drug. So your brain is conditioned to having this certain kind of stimulation. And it's just like the first time people use crack, you're trying to get that first sensation again, which you cannot. It's the surprise and everything else. But then men are worried about premature ejaculation because they don't see anyone in porn ejaculating prematurely. And this is so normal, especially early on. And you know, with sex and everything else, the more you stress about it, the more it becomes stressful. And you right. get in this terrible cycle, this loop that you can't get out of. And those people who are using porn, I mean, I don't say you can't ever watch porn, but if you're watching porn periodically as just something, let's just see what's happening or let's see right. how XYZ would try this thing, that's okay. But if you're saying, okay, let's sit down, we got to watch this porn first and I got to get to the certain stage and then I can just jump on you, knowing that that partner is probably fantasizing about the person who was on the screen, is not going to do me any good, I can tell you. Right, right. 
And I think that that's the thing. I think it goes back to the same things, whether it's a man or a woman, it's about connection to yourself, right? And if you're using something like what, whatever it is, it be it food or a substance, or in this case, you know, the internet, which unfortunately is becoming more of an issue uh, in our society, then it further distracts people, right? You know, like you said, periodically, not a big deal. But if it becomes the go-to, which is oftentimes what ends up happening, and I see couples struggling with that, because maybe they started to use it and then it becomes kind of something that they use all the time. And then they're kind of like, you know, looking at each other and they're not able to get into that space just to be. And I, you know, I often say it's about connection to yourself. Um, so what, what, what are some kind of things um, that people can actually do um, to connect to themselves that would allow them to bring, you know, bring their game, you know, bring their game to the table kind of thing, because it's, it's just, it's a natural process. It happens, yeah. it happens a certain way. It doesn't happen a certain way. Sometimes you want different types of sex. You want different mm -hmm. types of stimulation. What, what would you suggest? Um, and maybe males and females are different. Maybe you can speak to that. But what kind of things can people do just to get more grounded within themselves so that when they are with their partner, they can enjoy it to the fullest? Number one, I think that they have to learn how to get out of their own way. If you've been working all day long, you can't go straight from work to sex. And that's what people think. Oh, oh I don't have much time. I only have 20 minutes. I have to do. No. Individuals, male or female, find a time to have a barrier between here and here. Come in, take a shower, a bubble bath, have a massage. Sit and listen to romance, not hardcore porn, but listen to something that puts you in the mind of, wow, I feel great. When you're doing it for yourself personally, male and female, especially with all this body dysmorphia going on, you should get into the habit of looking in the mirror and saying, I look great. Not like, ooh, my neck was a little more firm or my breasts were up or I wish my belly was flatter. If you stop objectifying yourself, then you will be able to love yourself. Mm. People who are in relationships tell me that they love people who are confident. Mm -hmm. When you're worrying about, oh my God, I don't want the light on, or please put the covers on, or can't take my clothes off, or don't touch me there because I have a role, then you're getting in your own way. So in order to not get in the way with your partner, you have to stop getting in the way yourself. Your self-talk needs to be positive. I am a good person. I have done good things. I love my body. If I have lines on my belly, I call them my tiger stripes. I earn them by having that big bouncing baby boy. And I wouldn't give them back for any reason because he is the joy of my life. So right. when you look at and think about who are the people who made these decisions that our breasts have to be X number of centimeters from our collarbone and that our breasts have to be a certain difference from what our waist measurement is and our hip measurement is. And if we're not tall enough or short enough, whatever, this is stuff that is made by marketing industries to sell things. Mm -hmm. And when you recognize that they're just trying to sell you out of yourself so that you will buy their products, you will come better. Also about touch. I have women who have come to me late with cancer of the breast because they won't even touch their breasts to do a self exam. Mm -hmm. So I say to them, yeah, I mean, that's really sad, but it's because they've been taught they shouldn't do it. Touch your body. You bathe your body. You don't have to just have an orgasm from bathing, but you shouldn't be like, oh, I got to rush past this place. 
because as a diagnostic tool, as you learn your body, as you look at your body, perhaps you'll see skin cancer on your back because you actually looked. Perhaps you will find things because your partner is looking along with you. You can't find these things under the covers. So just get to say to yourself, I am a great person. I have a beautiful body. However it is, I love it. And the person who loves you surely loves it because they don't have to be there. And stop buying into the marketing hype and body dysmorphia. Absolutely. And I think it's on. So you're so right when you say that, right? We are, you know, so unique and everybody has, you know, their beauty. And, but again, it's going back to some basics. What I find men or women is like, and mostly women, because women will come more to speak to someone like myself in relationships. They'll talk about their imperfections. And if they're constantly thinking, I'm not good, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not, you know, I'm fat or I'm this or I'm that, by the time they even get to the point, those thoughts go into feelings and it goes into kind of putting their body into a, a you know, dysregulated state. And then, you know, then you're kind of trying to then enjoy someone else, you know, you're not even in your own space. It's tough to be open. So some things that I suggest is just uh, different mindfulness strategies that will allow them or which is along the line of masturbation, which is really, if I can understand what I'm doing to stand in my own way and I learn to get out of my way, even though it's uncomfortable at first, then it allows me to be able to, you know, embrace any kind of uh, connection that I have with someone, um, you know. And so, the other, yeah, the other thing too, though, is if you have more difficulty getting there on your own, right, in believing about touching yourself, I tell couples to do intimate touch exercises. And okay. this has, the, the end result is not sex at all. Okay. It is not at all. And they should not even try to have sex. Okay. But just sit in a room with the temperature, the right temperature, so you're not too cold or too hot, and get naked. If you are not comfortable yet with the lights being on and being naked, sit in the dark, sit next to each other, and just have exercises to touch each other. This is non-sensual touch. It is just touching each other. Because you remember when you were first dating someone or found a person you love, and when they touched you that first time, it didn't matter where they touched you, but when their finger touched you, you were just like, ah. Oh. Mm. You can get back to that by mindfully thinking about, I want to touch again. I'm not trying to get to the home run, and that's what happens. People are like, oh, let's get to the sex. No, let's get to touching, feeling, relating to each other. And so many couples will come back to me to say, ah, we just sat in the dark and touched each other. And I can tell you that's the closest we felt in 10 years. And then they gradually move up to where they're getting to sensual touch and then to sexual touch and then being very specific about what they want. But they have to get rid of all that old baggage that's saying, oh, I don't want him to touch me because I'm fat or I don't want her to touch me because I got a beard good or et cetera. And, you know, I, I often, you know, there was this research study that I recently read and it talked a little bit about even people being single um, that go for massages, that touch of the massage releases oxytocin, which is the connection that we all need, right? And ultimately, if you think about a baby, you know, when a baby comes into the world, what, what do we do? We, we swaddle them, we touch them, we listen to their cries. And really, at the end of the day, as a therapist, what I say is that we're all looking for that reconnection of some sort. We're looking to, to feel 
held, you know, someone cares for me, somebody desires me, somebody thinks I'm, I'm okay just the way I am. But I think, unfortunately, you're right. People get so caught up and life can be stressful as we know, but at the end of the day, it's about taking that, investing that time um, and making it special in some way, whether it's that you just touch and you spend time and then eventually you touch and, you know, you, you take time, you take steps, or it doesn't have to be on a Tuesday night at about 7.30, come upstairs and we have 20 minutes. That's kind of like, you know, something off the to-do list. It's, it's uh, then of course, and then the monotony kind of kicks in and a lot of couples will lose interest and then try to, you know, they'll probably prefer to watch something on Netflix instead of spending time with their partner. So you could see that it's really normal stuff that happens with couples, but they're, they're not talking about it. And because they're not talking about it, it ends up being something bigger on the long run, um, which can be sometimes become too big uh, or too catastrophic where they kind of can't pull each other in again. So Valda, if you could, um, if you could uh, tell people where to get a hold of you, I, I'm sure like, you know, you know, with me, since I met you, I love, I love to be able to follow what you do. Um, and I would love the people listening that are wanting to be able to coach with you um, or to be able to, you know, follow you on Facebook. I know you do a lot on Facebook and uh, just uh, about different things that may be coming up for you. If you wanted to let them know where they could get a hold of you, um, where you are on Facebook and any other social media or direct contact, I'm sure people would reach out uh, because uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people that will be listening to this that will have way too many questions that they're sure not going to call in about. So to give yeah. them that opportunity to be able to do that with you one-to-one. Uh, -one. Okay, great. There are a number of ways. One is my Facebook page, Sex is Not for Sissies, S-I-S-S-I-E-S. That is an open forum for people from 50 countries, but there is a private message section. Also, they can email me at valda at valdaford.com. I'm on the radio. I have Sex is Not for Sissies radio on the Ear Radio Network. There are many podcasts they can check out there. Additionally, I'm on the radio every first Sunday on 102 Jams, which is a hip-hop and R&B station, which expands my reach into a younger, more urban group. Every first Sunday, you can get that on the TuneIn app. And you can just get in touch with me. If you Google me or you look for me on Facebook, you'll find me in any number of ways, but feel free to do the Sex is Not for Sissies on Facebook because if you send me a private message, I will respond to it and I can answer your question openly or privately and I can set up coaching sessions or retreats. I'm setting up now a series of retreats where I'll have one with you and with another colleague from Hilton Head. We're gonna to get together and we're gonna talk about how to get what you want, ask for it and get what you want. So I look forward to hearing from all of you and talking to you again soon, Roxanne. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I know I have a lot of questions, so hopefully maybe you'll come back um, and uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit more, a uh, bit about mindfulness and actual uh, connections and strategies that I can, um, we can both share together on our both uh, different ends of our uh, expertise and be able to hopefully give people that are uh, tuning in a little bit more information. So thanks so much, Valda. As, a, as always, a pleasure. You know, um, you're just, I love that smile. You keep smiling and uh, we'll connect soon. All right, take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Join Authentic Living with Roxanne every Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern on Global Voice Radio.